My first memory would be, I suppose, maybe three, three and a half and being picked up by a student nurse into our arms. Good feeling. Right, right. You, you give me the push. We're right at the main entrance here, as you can see. And as you came in, the fish tank. This is John McGuire's home, but it may not be for much longer. We go down straight down the corridor here, and the first door on your right. John uses a wheelchair and lives in a Cheshire home in Dublin. No matter what corridor I take you on to, every bedroom will be identical okay. to what you've seen. Cheshire homes are residential centres for people with disabilities. I take you to my own, okay. which is down here. They're spread throughout Ireland, but as the name suggests, they originated in England. However, they're not named after the English county of Cheshire, but after a World War II pilot. He was Group Captain Leonard Cheshire. Evelyn Pender of Cheshire, Ireland. He was the British witness at Nagasaki and after that he retired from the Air Force. And he came back to the UK and he saw that there was nowhere for wounded veterans to live. So he started off by taking one person into his home, someone who had a disability after the war, and he tried to give them a home-from-home environment and then that grew and eventually he had a number of homes across the UK some years later, somebody bequeathed a house in Shillelagh in County Wicklow to start the first Cheshire home in Ireland. Now there are 21 locations in Ireland where Cheshire Ireland run services for people with disabilities, so adults with primarily physical and neurological disabilities. In here, am I at a, bed, am I at a doorway? You are, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, I'll take you in here now. Okay. Am I going in? Is the door here? Will I open it? No. In here is mine. This is my room. The Cheshire home in Monkstown, South Dublin, has been John McGuire's home since the 1990s. Now, as you can see, there's radios. There's a big silver radio, Sony record player, three CD machine, uh, two tape decks. All my CDs are down here. Look, under there. John is nearly 60. He's lived in care all his life, since he was a toddler actually. And he was put into care when he was two years old because he was born with a disability. A very mild uh, form of cerebral palsy. At that time, anybody that was born with a disability, they were automatically put into an institution. Automatically putting small children like John into institutions was part of the culture of the time. But there were practical reasons for this. Children like John needed regular treatment and if they were from remote rural areas, the best way to do this was to put the child into an institution. At that time you never got no physiotherapy or anything if you stayed in the country with family. Noel Early was one such child. When he was three years of age, he moved from Roscommon to Bray, County Wicklow. You done all your schooling and physiotherapy and your meals were provided every day and it was better move to somewhere where these services would be provided. But John's family didn't live in a remote rural area. They lived on Dublin's north side, and not that far 
from the Baldile home where John lived. In the 18 years in St Mary's and Baldile, I never got back to feed the family house. There was two days that families came out. One was midweek of a Wednesday and the other one was a Sunday. And they came, say, from two to four. They were kind and they'd bring me out sweet from chocolate, from minerals and the usual kind of stuff that you'd bring kids. Then the bell would ring around four o'clock, given the indication that it was time for families to, to leave. Like. I'd be kind of sad because they were gone, particularly if they had a member of the family. Like, you know, I was the one that was being, being left behind. I had family living in Dublin and working in Dublin, so they used to come out to the Bray fairly regularly, you know. I was lucky, you know, I'd be, I, I, I'd be lucky in that respect. I kept in touch with family and I used to come back in every summer, Christmas and Easter, so I wouldn't have been the worst. There were more people there that had no one coming to see them. It was sad to see that, you know. The places in which John and Noel lived were caring environments, but the staff there were dealing with a lot of children, and life was quite regimented. You got up at, say, six in the morning, and you had your breakfast at seven, and prayers at eight o'clock. You had to eat at certain times, and breakfast at eight, and tea at four, and bed at nine or two, you know. Main dinner was at twelve. It was mundane, you know, it was day after day, but that's the way things were. I was kind of wild, you know. I, I was, a lot of the time, I didn't obey the orders, like you know. And what would what would be the result if you did that? Were they were they would they punish you? Yes, they'd kind of punish you, like putting you to bed. But I'd get back up, like you know, and and I'd hide and been part of the of the building, like you know. I was a bit on the wild side and I wouldn't sit down any more than for five minutes at any given time. Even in school, I hated school. I'd be in school and I'd pretend that I'd want to go to the boys' room. I wouldn't be seen for the rest of the day. I was always going out on to the road, like, you know. They'd bring me in and they'd give out to me and they'd Give me a smack across the legs and don't let me see you out on that road again. Don't move from that seat. While life in the homes was routine and regimented, there were plenty of other children in similar situations. You weren't as unusual as you would be in the mainstream schools of the time. But while all children had disabilities of some sort, their treatments and outcomes were different. This meant that they stayed for various lengths of time. Children were coming and going so much it could be hard forging and maintaining friendships. There wouldn't be a fuss made, like, you know, it would be kind of just pack and move on and move up and move out and somebody else would be come in to take their place. A lot of them 
moved maybe home and different parts of the country, but that's the way things were done at that time. People that went home to their own uh, homes, they kind of left before me. Eventually, though, everyone had to leave. That was when they reached their 18th birthday. John and Noel both knew that when they turned 18, they'd have to move out of the children's homes and into adult accommodation. So, when they became 18, Noel moved back west, while John stayed in Dublin. It was sad leaving. I knew a lot from Bray. I was quite emotional, even though my upbringing was quite hard. And I remember the head nun coming to me and and telling me that I was one of the best patients after all those years trying to control me, like, you know. I was quite emotional the day I was leaving. Not so much of the staff, but of my friends that I've made over the years. Oh, I practically nearly went around everybody and I said goodbye. And nurses that I got on with, they were crying as well. Okay, this is the uh, dining area, main dining room. Okay. It's not quite lunchtime yet. Okay. John eventually ended up here in the Cheshire home in Monkstown, Dublin, in his 40s. By now he was using a wheelchair full-time and had lost the sight of one eye. This Monkstown home was brand new and chances were this would be his home for the rest of his life. Or so he thought at the time. Patrick Keane is the manager here. John, hello John. Morning John. Another John, yes. And John Maguire of course. John Maguire, I'm great John, how are you? There's Annette, hello Annette, how are you? When this building was built 20 years ago, it reflected new thinking about group accommodation for people with disabilities. The idea was to connect residents more closely to the community in which they were living. A lot of local people got together, raised a lot of funds, and in conjunction with Cheshire Ireland, they opened a long-stay residential service for people with disabilities and neurological conditions. 20 years ago, when it was opened, it was a state-of-the-art facility It was considered to be, you know, the best possible place to care for people with disabilities and that most of their needs would be met in that we would have physiotherapy services, we would have a purpose-built building that was accessible, uh, they would have access to nursing and clinical support staff and access to the local community. For John, it worked, this attempt to include people with disabilities in their local community. I meet people from Monkstown Village and we'd call into a canteen and and we'd have a cup of coffee and a chat. People with disabilities used to live in large institutions behind high walls. Then smaller residential units were built, like the one in which John lives in Monkstown, County Dublin. Evelyn Pander of Cheshire, Ireland. They went on group activities together, so maybe a group would go to bingo. It wasn't possibly the life that they would have chosen for themselves. Cheshire Ireland is transforming now into an organisation where we support people to live a life of their own choosing. People with disabilities don't need to be grouped together in large numbers but can actually live a full normal life just like you or I. People starting to see people with disabilities having the right to live in their own house, to maybe have their own front door in their own local community. 
But John's local community is here, in the Cheshire home. And here's my television. And back here is a video recorder, my landline telephone, and I have a fridge. He was put into an institution at two years of age, and he never went home again. And now he's 59. And look, there's photographs of my good self. That's my mother and father and my eldest sister. So the notion of moving out of a place like this to live on his own is a daunting one. He remembers when he first heard about the idea. Well, there's been whispers going around for quite a number of years. One or two people came to me from headquarters and I was asked would I be interested and I, I said yes, I'd give it a go. While John gave a tentative yes to living on his own, Noel Early, who went back west, had already made the move. Well, I'd done a course in Galway, you know, independent living course, and only by chance I came upon where I am now. Noel now lives in a single-storey terraced house on the outskirts of Ballina in County Mayo. I was a bit concerned about the town distance and would you get with the chair in and out of town, but after a few trips in and out, it was no length. And when it came to independent living, Noel tried really hard to make it work for him. I wonder really what every other person, whether they were disabled or not, what their wants and needs was. They wanted a, a nice home and a comfortable place to live. That's what I got. Although Noel was enthusiastic about living independently, his family had some concerns. They would have been wondering, will you be all right? Or, you know, and that's understandable, sure. You don't have to be disabled to have someone concerned in that way, you know. As it went on, it, it's working out all right, you know. I think it made, made me feel stronger or more empowered or something, I don't know. It's, it's an eye-opener for, for anyone to do. You shut your own door. It's a great feeling to, th- to think that you, you can come and go as you please. While it's worked for him, Noel knows that independent living is not for everyone. Anyone that's able to live independently should, but think about it before doing it. Well, think about your own situation. Don't uh, just go headlong into it. And there's the famous bike. It's a bike, you see. It is an exercise bike. I use that from about 10 o'clock to 12 every morning. Despite having fought with the nuns and running away from classes, John got back into education. I spent three years in Clashtida in Finglas. Basic computers, like, you know, and English and maths and stuff on the computer, like, you know, stuff that I should have been doing in school. When John was 40, as well as being in a wheelchair, he'd lost the sight in one eye. Then three years later, there was worse to come. It was a Wednesday, the 5th of March, 1997. I was out and about, up in Dunleary, came home, not a bother on me. Five o'clock came, I was laughing and joking. I was just sitting having my tea and the... The room went completely dark. I thought the lights went out. Everything just went dark. It's like as if you pulled down that blind and pulled those curtains. 
Like that's that's how simple it, it's happened. I can tell you, I froze. I couldn't believe it. You know, I went into total shock. I thought the room went into darkness for some unknown reason. No, it was me losing my sight. I got no pre-warning. I got no pre-warning. It's a shocking story, John, that you, you no no inkling whatsoever. No. And then suddenly you can't see. No, no. And and what had happened, John? The retina came detached at the back of the eye. And and did something happen to cause that or did that just spontaneously take place? I can't pinpoint it as to what happened. I tried to be as positive as as I could, like, you know. When it happened, there was no anger, but it kind of came about a month or two later, like, you know. And John, how long did it take then to come to terms with that anger and your new situation? It was a very, very slow process, Brian, a very, very slow way, you know. A lot of it was trying to get around and knowing the house. The fact that he knows the house made life much easier for John, now that he's blind. But now he's being asked to consider learning his way around the new house. This new house might be his own home, but it will still be a whole new environment. John, why is there a television if if you don't have sight? A good question. I like to hear what's going on on television. You know, like, if there's an interesting guest on The Late Late Show uh, and I hear about it, well, I'll turn it on and I'll listen to it. Okay, and can you see, can you see any of the image at all? Uh, a little bit or none at all? A, ver- a big blur, like you know, a blur, like you know. I can see light, but I can't make out people. John's not on his own making this decision. Ros McMahon from Cheshire, Ireland, is a transition coordinator. Her job is to help John work out where he'd like to live. And it's really just getting to know John as best as I possibly can. So in the future, if he was to move into his own home what he sees as potential barriers for him. Not having the big open spaces along big corridors. And uh, I can go to one of my colleagues' rooms here, provided I'm invited. But I wouldn't imagine that would happen too often in an apartment. And having, I think, a structure to his day as well, because the day here, obviously... He's, very, he's been here 20 years, he knows what the day is like, and I suppose he's trying to imagine what his 9 to 5 day would look like outside of here. As Noel from Common mentioned earlier, it's not just yourself that moving affects. Families also have concerns. They're not too pleased about it, which I suppose is understandable, Brian, because, I mean, when you're put away since you were two years of age, right up to the present day, and they see you being very protective, like, you know, I can see it from all angles. But uh, at the end of the day, Brian, I'm an individual. There are people, I suppose, for him that he said he would have gotten on quite well with in here in the past, but they've actually moved out, especially in the last year or two. And I think that's something that he misses because they would have been people he would have had sparked off and they would have had great debates. But now that they've gone, it's kind of changed the setting for him. In 2013, Ros and her Cheshire colleagues found a place that might be suitable for John. It's in Clondalkin in West Dublin. It's on the far side of the city from Monkstown, but it is newly built, disability-friendly accommodation. So we can hear the builders in the background still putting the finishing touches to some of the, some of the units yeah, here. Yeah, there's some small snag work being completed. 
Paddy O'Brien is Health and Safety Officer with Cheshire Ireland. You can see the outside here is completely accessible. It's all flat area and there's some low planters. The complex consists of a series of apartments built around the glass-walled courtyard. All the external wall is glass here. There's a small atrium. And then we're coming down to the end of the corridor, which uh, has a, a, another large slider which leads out onto a roof garden. There's ten units altogether, so there may be a family. There's a, a two-storey unit, so there could be a family living there. So there would be a small community, not, not the same as the community John is used to, but there would be a community of sorts in the building, presumably. There would be a small community, yeah. Whether they'll interact with each other or not, it's like any apartment block. You may know your neighbour or you may not. It really depends on yourself if you want to get involved with other people in the building. I'm standing at the gates of Valhalla, a new purpose-built complex in Clondalkin. And today is the day that John McGuire is coming to see the accommodation that could be his new home. Ros and John are just driving in now. Yes, that's true, there is a great smell of You should flip the counter there. I do indeed, I do indeed. A little bit further along and then the counter starts to turn. Yes. And then you come up to the space for the hob. Mm-hmm. And there's um, drawers and stuff underneath there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cupboard here on the left hand side. So yes, it's a great storage space. Um, does it feel spacious, John? Yes, yes. So this is a... Bathroom. Oh. I think Paddy said as well, it's in the way the bathroom, the floor is designed so that oh, all the water runs. Yes, yes. Very, very impressed all, all together. Very impressed. Uh, but particularly the outside of it, you know. Probably the most modern building in the country as regards disability, like, you know. At this point in time, even though I haven't said yea or nay, I could be looking forward to probably the biggest challenge in my life. That challenge has already been taken up by two men who've moved into Valhalla in Clondalkin, Robert Pallas and Johnny Murta. How long have you been here, Johnny? You, you moved in on the 30th of August. Yes. So were you one of the first to get here? I was, yes. You're a pioneer. Yeah. And how do you find it? Very good. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Out there. I so you have, have a little uh, patio? Yeah, he's on a little patio outside. Yeah. I have a little patio. Johnny said he has set up a party. I'm a little patio. And he was born into a wheelchair. Okay. Johnny has some slight hand movement, which he uses to control his electric wheelchair. But he needs a high level of care. And one of his carers is Shane Quigley, who also helps him to communicate. Other people that are living in, in what he's calling institutional like care homes and stuff like that are afraid to move out, like the way he was. And you wouldn't want to go back. Uh, Johnny, can you tell us what it felt like on, like on your last day when you were fin- stepping out of, of residential care? What, what did that feel like? Very good. 
and um, some of the they had the radio on. He felt very good when he was leaving to get home because little things like sharing a room with other people where one person would want to listen to the radio, one person would be watching the TV. He knew he wanted to move out and he's saying it's had to change his life completely. He's more independent now himself and he makes his own choices. And Johnny, that, that all sounds really positive, but was there any kind of sadness at leaving friends behind? Wow. On the other hand, across the corridor, Robert Palace in another apartment isn't so definite. You could have a grey crack. Would you have preferred to stay in the Cheshire? Yeah, because there was a good um, ambassade. The Valhalla complex is everything you could want in a new building. It's bright, it's airy, it's wheelchair-friendly. It involves individual apartments clustered around the really attractive outdoor area. And it gives freedom to people who've been used to regimented community living. But that very regimented quality also worked for some people. It got people out of their rooms, it made sure that people ate together at a certain time and involved the social element. There was a big dining room. If you wanted privacy, you go to your room, you know? It was good. So back to John Maguire. He has the option of an apartment in Valhalla. Will he feel like Johnny Murtha, who loves living there? Or will he feel like Robert Pallas, who misses the company of his previous life? I um, thought hard, long, short-term, long-term, every direction you can go in, you know, I've thought. And I'm in this location almost 21 years and I know the people and I know people from Blackrock to Wexford and, and so on. 10, 15, 20 years ago, I think I would have moved to Clondalk and no bother, but people today are kind of running around. They don't necessarily stop and talk to you like they used to, from what I know, like, you know. I won't be moving to Valhalla. Coming into kind of the crunch time around the decision having to be made about whether John was going to take Clondalkin or not, I suppose. Um, I know in my own head, I was trying to prepare myself for him saying he, he didn't want to go for Clondalkin. He probably wanted to settle around here. So is this a blow for Roz, John's transition coordinator, whose job it is to help him find the life outside of the community home? We tried not to let that affect us too much or have too much of a negative impact. And it wouldn't feel so much that it was a oh, you're taking a step backwards. It was more like you're taking a sidestep. And in a way, I think it was good because there was a bit of pressure off, I think, as well, because now we have the time really to really think about, OK, well, what is it about around here that I do like? And, you know, what particular areas is it that I want to settle in around here? So it was kind of, in some respects, it wasn't all bad. There were some bonuses to it as well. So John's needs have crystallised. He wants a larger apartment and he wants that apartment in the South Dublin area that he knows. 
But the place in which he's lived for the last 21 years is one of the most expensive parts of Ireland. I didn't like the idea of a one-bedroom department, like, you know. This is proving a bit of a challenge at the moment. Um, I suppose our search was kind of put off for a while temporarily because we had to sort out um, the financial situation and that involved myself and John going down to the social welfare office and speaking to the community welfare officer there and trying to figure out how much John would get for like, rent allowance and because really that was going to guide the search and without that kind of little crucial bit of information we really couldn't it was very hard to do searches in the area because you didn't know what the kind of limit on the rent would be and so then the last two weeks maybe we've put a bit more effort into actually doing kind of searches the way normal people would but I suppose what makes it a little bit different now is that before we would have been looking at properties to rent and now we're actually also looking at properties for purchase in the hope that if there is something very suitable and accessible for John and it kind of ticks most of the boxes, we might be able to partner with the housing association and they could possibly purchase the property and then kind of lease it to John. And John, can I ask you, what happens if someone says, no, I don't want to live? Good question. I don't know the answer to that, but as far as I know, it's going within the next, say, four to five years. That's a little cleaner's room. And at the moment, I think it's uh, 4FM that's on at the moment. And right now you're listening to the hothouse flowers. Don't go. Not for the moment. But don't rule it out either, says Evelyn Pender of Cheshire, Ireland. I suppose it's you know that people embrace the challenges ahead because it's not always easy after being many years in a group setting or a congregated setting to have the bravery I suppose and the courage that it needs to move out and to make that leap but when you see the difference that it makes to someone's life how rich someone's life can be you really realize what a difference it can make and that it's well worth it. John knows it may be worth it. Despite the fact that he's looking for a new home in one of the most expensive places in Ireland in which to live, and despite the fact that he's almost 60, uses a wheelchair and is blind, John Maguire reckons he could leave the Cheshire home and manage. However, there's still one thing that concerns him. Company. I've, I've always had people around me 24-7. And John, if you were to move and you didn't have people around you, would that be a plus or a minus? It'd be a minus... It would be a minus, you know. Why, why would that be? It, well, as, as I say, like, you know, you're here this morning and uh, when you leave, I won't be alone. 